Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. about to wrap up the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter 13, verse 1. So glad you joined us on this journey. I hope that you continue with us. And if you've been using these for your own personal devotionals or for a house church or for brick and mortar church, we know of a couple that use these as their sermon and several, I think seven or eight have let us know they use them as their midweek Bible studies in their church buildings. That's great and fine. We will never hit you up for a penny, but we would love to hear from you that you're using these because that just encourages us. All right. Remember now all the stories, all of the argument to bring these people back from cooling off their faith to being excited and engaged again. They were very disappointed because the way Jesus was Messiah was not the way they wanted Messiah to be. And that's, that's always a problem whenever you expect one thing, but you get another. Now, you and I would make a big argument that what we got was better than somebody riding a horse, leading an army, and reestablishing the borders of the kingdom of David. That, that would be great, but I think we found something greater in that the whole world is now called together and that we are all God's chosen people and our God's fire of redemption will cleanse us and that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, and the book of Hebrews has gone into great detail about how Jesus did meet the criteria to be our high priest, our Messiah, and the Son of God, and in fact, the exact representation of God. Now the problem is, and this is what we're gonna see in this last bit, the problem is when you're really hurt, when you're really disappointed, you feel let down by God and life you begin to narrow your vision. You don't see the things that you did well and should continue to do. You you let them go. It's rather like somebody in the throes of clinical depression, not just average everyday depression, where we can feel sad and blue for a day or seven or 10, but clinical depression. One of the signs is that they let the day by day stuff slide. The check register is no longer being kept up to date if they're of the age where they use checks. Uh, The house becomes very untidy when before it was tidy. Laundry's not getting done. Meals aren't being prepared. You start seeing things just drop. You know, personal hygiene begins to suffer. Not with all people in clinical depression by any stretch of the means, but generally that's something we look for. Here, their faith was getting untidy. The things that they did really well as Jewish people, and the Jewish people did community really well, and still do, it it was starting to fall because they were disappointed. Jesus hadn't come back. It had been decades. And so the writer of this sermon, which the book of Hebrews is really a sermon, wraps up not by going right back and reviewing everything that that they just wrote, but rather 
giving admonitions to re-engage with their faith on a day-by-day basis by doing good, by staying away from evil. I mean, that, that's as simple as it gets, but that's, and, and that's what God wants. And it, it's so offensive to people. You know, he tells Naaman to dip seven times in a Jordan. And Naaman is very, you know, he's, he's upset by that. He's offended because they have prettier rivers where he's from. And why would he have to go there and do this? <laughs> His own servant says, listen, if he'd asked you to do something really big and difficult, you would have done it. He's just asking you to do this simple. So Jesus comes along and says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And we're going, yeah, sure. And what? And churches have piled hundreds and thousands of and what's to that. Worship this way, behave this way, dress this way, act this way, think this way, and don't do this entire 5,000 bad list over here. Where Matthew 25 says, you can come into heaven because you took care of me when I was hungry, when I was in prison, when I needed clothing. And, And people are going, what? We don't remember doing that to you. And Jesus says, if you did it to anyone, you did it to me, come on into heaven. And we read that and we think, nope, too simple. We have to make this complicated. The writer of Hebrews is about to make it very simple again by saying, all right, open your eyes, get back involved, start working the faith. Your faith works when you work your faith. So what, is, what do you need to do? Well, some things you're already doing well, but remember to keep doing them. And yet he starts off that way in Hebrews chapter 13, verse one, keep on loving each other as brothers. So they weren't, they weren't being unkind, they were just disappointed. So he's saying, you're doing this well, keep doing this. But then he adds this thing, which the Jewish people knew about, but which is always a surprise when a Westerner reads it. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Well, the word angel there can mean an earthly messenger of God, but it also can obviously mean a spiritual messenger of God. So I think here we're talking about the spiritual. And he's saying, remember, when you see somebody in need, you take care of them. For who knows, but you have, uh, you've entertained, you've taken care of an angel and not even known it. Other times, I think you could make an argument, um, although I think this is a spiritual angel, I think you can make an argument that be kind to people, help them along their way, because you might have just come across one of God's human messengers who's on a mission, and your job is to help them get from place to place. Now, I was very, very humbled, um, probably three years ago now, when I went up for the state of Ohio, which I've done now for, I think, 22, 23 years, and taught in a special program they've got. There are several of them that they call me up to do this on. And this particular one is for people who are moving from other medical fields or administrative fields into becoming um, nursing home uh, administrators or assisted living administrators and actually really running the whole show. They've got to get all these qualifications. And I'm one of the people that goes up and and teaches the courses there. And there are a variety of courses. Everybody always wants to know the subject. That's not the issue. This particular time, uh, I taught on death and dying. And 
it, it was a great class, a lot of story sharing and the like. And one of my rules when I go to speak somewhere is that I will stay around as long as anybody wants to talk to me. Uh, I don't bolt for the door unless I've got a plane to catch. So I'd spoken to many. Uh, they had eased out. Most of the time they they get out of there because they've got an hour break before the next speaker. And so, you know, the few people there, great. And then a Jewish man came up to me. He was wearing, you know, the yarmulke and had shared a couple of the stories, which were really good. I really enjoyed it. And he, he came up to me as I was leaving um, out toward my car and he goes, Dr. Mead, Dr. Mead. And I went, yes, sure. Stopped, you know, turned around to talk to him. And he handed me a dollar. Now that, that was a first. And I said, why are you handing me a dollar? And he said, in his religion, and I'm, I'm assuming he's a conservative Jew. Uh, he could have been Orthodox. Uh, there are different, you know, Reformed Jews. There are different groups. But he said, in my religion, uh, when you find someone who is a messenger of God, and who is doing good work for God, you are, you are asked to bless them with a dollar to help them on their way. And I was just really touched. By the way, this is not a hint for you to give me a dollar when I come to your place, all right? I'm being paid. Uh, but this was just an amazing, and all of a sudden that dollar is a very holy thing in, in the wallet. That Jewish concept of you take care of people who are blessing you or who need your help because they might be a messenger of God is revealed here saying, remember, you might have already done it, so you need to keep your eyes open and be ready for the next one. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Well, I need to remind you about this. Prisons in most of the world, the people only get clothes if you bring them, food if you bring them, toothbrushes and soap if you bring them. Now in most American jails, you can't just bring stuff like that because things are heavily screened and we understand the why. But you may not know that prisoners are charged for all of that and that it is very difficult. I, I know of prisons that are state prisons where you are required to work and you get four cents an hour and others where you get less than a dollar a day. And, and then you have to go to this little cubicle where the guards are, are guarding it and you have to buy your soap and you have to buy the right sometimes to have an extra shower or to watch a particular movie it is, it's brutal. So remember them, help them. As you know, those of you that support our safe harbor are also supporting our work with the, the inmates in the Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola, Louisiana. Uh, when this is being recorded, which is about a month before you will see it, I believe we were up to 27 inmates that are studying the notes from the sermon together every every week and together in different groups because they're in different camps. And you know, one of them I know of is in death row. Bobby is the one I go and visit, but I also get to talk to a couple of others sometimes and we're trying to get to talk to more. But the point is we go down there and um, our safe harbor makes sure that I've got money in my pocket 
because I can take in money and I can take in my ID, that's it. And if I'm going on to death row, I can take up to $50 and that I can use to buy food for Bobby and for the people on his, his, uh, his wing, I guess, is what you'd call that cell block. Or I can, uh, I can put it into his account so he can go to the commissary and buy art supplies because he's an amazing artist. If I go into life row, which I've not done yet, but they've told me I can carry up to $100. Well, that's given to us by people like you. When you support our safe harbor, you're doing that. Graceworks, One Generation Away, all sorts of Flint Global, all sorts of amazing charitable works. But there's another thing you need to remember about prisons. In this day, and in many places in the world today, if you come to visit a prisoner, you are then marked as a possible disruptor of society, maybe in league with criminals. And you, especially back here, you would have been followed, you would have been marked, the authorities would know your name, they would probably watch your movements, you would immediately be a suspect because you visited a prisoner. And the writer here is saying, you do it anyway. Jesus did the same. He said, you do it anyway, you share with them. What, just your money and such? No, you're also sharing that feeling of being watched and being an outsider, merely because you showed up to help them. Um, in America, that's not the way it works. At least I've never heard of it working that way here or in Britain or in France or Germany. But there are still places in the world where immediately you're a suspect if you care about a prisoner. We're, what are we told to do? Do it anyway, because this world isn't our home. We are pleasing our king, and our king is not on earth. Okay, marriage, it says, should be honored by all. Once again, there have been many religious movements through history where marriage was considered you know, the second option. The first one is being a virginal forever, celibate forever. That, that was supposed to be a higher calling. It's not what the scripture says. You, um, if you have the call to be celibate and single, well then God bless you because that's, that's a really amazing call to have. Uh, I heard one fellow uh, explain why after many, many years he'd gotten married. He said, I, I had the gift of celibacy and then I met this person and I gave it back. You know, they got married. Marriage is honorable and we should treat it that way. I love humor, absolutely love humor but I, I just do not care for a comedian making fun of the wife or making fun of the husband. No, in fact, you'll hear me say an awful lot of deprecation, uh, deprecating things about myself, or you'll hear me uh, do jokes and humor all the time because that's how I get through my life. But you can go back for the, the last 40 years, I've been on record somewhere, and you'll never hear me making fun of my wife or saying anything bad about her. And if she ever burned a meal or wrecked a car or did anything silly, you'll never hear about it. Marriage is honorable. It should be treated that way. And a marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Yeah, yeah, the world thinks that's just insane. You've only been with one person and, and that's all you're gonna stay with, all you, well, you're really missing out. Not so much. You learn, you learn to love each other and you learn who the other one is 
And since you're always changing, marriage is always new if you let it be. God says, do this right. Let's not invite other people, even in your brain, into the marriage bed. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, neither will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So you visit the prisoners, you do what you're supposed to do in marriage, you live a good life. And if the world doesn't like it, that's okay. We're not here for, for that. We're not here for the accolades of the world. And if you really wanna be happy, the secret's given to you here. Be content with what you have. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Um, it's all right to have money. It really is. I have certainly in my life been blessed by people who were successful in business who were um, you know, inventors or engineers or who won awards and then decided to share it with me or with the church I was uh, serving or to share it with a bunch of people and I was just happened to be in a bunch. Time after time, I've, I've been given meals by people who had the money to do that and helped me get a ticket to the next place overseas because they had the points. They were, they were using this to bless others. They didn't love their money, they were using their money. And I think we need to remember, being rich does make it harder to get into heaven. Jesus said that and I believe it. But being rich doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. It, it just means you need to keep focused on who you love and it's Jesus, not the faces on the bills or the banknotes in, in Britain, right? Also, you wanna be free and happy and then like what you've got and want what you have like what you've got and want what you have, and you're gonna be an amazingly happy person. Try it. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's, it sounds a bit self-serving here, okay? But many of you are actually using our safe harbor as an add-on. You, you still have another place, whether it's brick and mortar or it's a, um, it's a house church, you've got another group and your giving is going to that group because they feed you and lead you. And that's exactly what you should do. So this is not a call for money, all right? But it is a call that if I've helped you, remember me in prayer. Remember that sometimes that Patrick, just like every other human, need somebody to lift up his arm so that the battle can be won. And that doesn't have to be money. That can be just an encouraging text, an email. It could be just a prayer that I never know about. But do that not just for Patrick. It's not, it's not about me. Whoever brought you to Jesus, whoever is leading you to Jesus. See, to me, that would include, I know it's not referring to my mother, but my mother's alive, my father's passed. But my mother did a lot in her own way to, to make me be who I am today in the good. She's not responsible for the bad. And therefore, I honor her. I, this very day, I got to the, to the office about four hours late because I took my mama to a hearing aid appointment and then she needed new shoes. And so we went and we bought some shoes. We bought three pair of shoes. And then uh, she had this list of grocery stuff that she just kind of needs. And so we did that as well. And I got to do it. I didn't have to do it. I got to do it because honor your leaders. 
I really have tried to find a couple of specific teachers, one a Bible teacher, one an English teacher, that I could go and thank. And as far as I can tell, they've never been on social media. They have zero presence out there and I cannot find them. Uh, and I'm not gonna pay a private detective or anything like that. It's not what it was about. It was just to say thank you because I'm really a Christian more, more because of white-haired ladies in damp church basements who taught Sunday school than any sermon. And because of my mom, because of teachers that taught me how to read and how to appreciate what I was reading, thank them, support them, care for them, rally around them. It is, um, it, it means far more than you might think. Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever, but do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is, um, again, it's almost like reading Proverbs. Each verse is a different thing. Whenever I've talked to people about change in religion, I've often had people say, you know, God, there's no shadow of turning in him, and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Absolutely, but your interpretation of Jesus Christ and how to apply the reality of Christ changes with your knowledge, with the situation, with the culture, with information. Therefore, while Jesus is the same, we have to change, adapt, and find ways to bring him to us in a purer way. And besides, a lot of things that we used to say were taught to us by Jesus were not. They were, they were just part of our traditions, but we're not special. That's been true throughout history. Jesus talked about a woe unto people who taught for law the traditions of men. We've all done that. And so we need to keep focusing on Jesus. And then he says, don't be carried away with a lot of strange teachings. I run across some real strange ones. And I'm afraid to list examples here because they might be, you might have one of them. Uh, Christians, we don't need to be thinking about weird conspiracies or phenomena or beings or any of it. We have a job to do. Love God and love your neighbor. That should keep you pretty busy. We don't need when somebody goes, I have found a secret code that tells, you know, there's a book that was shoved at me by Amazon recommendations that said, you know, basically the, the whole book is undeniable facts that prove we're in the last days. And that's a book that could have been written anytime for the last 2,000 years because people have been saying that for the last 2,000 years. Don't waste your time on that. Don't waste your time on the end of the world. Be concerned about the end of you and live well, do well. Then going on, it's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the table have no right to eat. All right. He's talking to Jewish people here who have a whole different culture. So if you're going, wow, wait, I'm lost here. Good, because you probably are then paying attention. What's he talking about? Don't just show up and go through the functions. Don't just go up and say, well, I've eaten from here. And so I've done the right foods. I have gone through the five acts of worship or whatever. If you're asking what the five acts are, don't worry. Um, that's just something which some religious tribes teach. It's not found in scripture. Don't worry about it. Instead, strengthen your heart by grace. The grace we receive, but here he's talking about the grace we give to others. 
Be as patient with other people as you want God to be with you. It's a pretty good, pretty good rule of thumb, don't you think? The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make his people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. If you've been following through Hebrews, they should be setting off little bells in your head. The Hebrew people who had followed Christ as their Messiah had been jeered at, laughed at, and shamed by it. And this is why the writer of Hebrews goes, God's not ashamed of you. Don't be ashamed of him. And here they're saying, it's, you're, you may have to walk outside the camp to be with Christ and bear the same shame that he bore, but it's worth it. For here we, do, we have, I'm gonna start again. Here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Just a beautiful phrase, absolutely beautiful. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures lay beyond the blue. It's, it's just, we need those old songs back. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to, to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that profess, confess his name. Profess and confess are the same word. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Again and again, God tells you what he requires of you, and it is not religious precision. It is not doctrinal alignment. It is believe in Christ and do good. That's our job. And I, I see Christians, and they always have, tear each other up over their doctrines, their practices, their decisions, their politics. Stop it. We don't need another 30 years war, 100 years war, or Twitter wars between Christians. Just love each other, offer grace, remember to do good. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now we've all had terrible bosses, but that's not what talk he's talking about here. Almost certainly in this framework and context, he is talking about the elders of the community. Uh, those who, and by the way, you're not voted in. Uh, they, don't, they don't put you on the list of the elders. You're an elder because of your way of life and the community just knows you're one of their elders. And he's saying, listen, the community needs order. They need predictability. They need peace. So listen to those who are older and who are leading you. And don't make their job hard. One of the things that I would say to my son before I left on trips, uh, I did this from the time he was three years old, was I'd look at him and say, it is your job. And I'd point to Miss Cammie and say, to make her life as easy as possible. Your job is to make her life as easy as possible. And my wife told me uh, when we would call at the end of my journey, whenever I'm maybe far off somewhere, she would say, he, he, he heard you. You know, he's taking care of me. And he, he would walk around as a little boy, make sure the doors were locked and the windows were closed and mama had a cup of tea or whatever she needed. And I'm very, very proud that he heard the message and he's passing it on to his son in his own way. 
we, um, we don't need to make people's lives hard. Elders were told not to make it hard to be a Christian. And, and uh, Acts 15, don't make it harder than it has to be. We need to really ease up. We do. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I might be restored to you soon. Whoever's writing this, they, they know. And he's wanting, he or she is wanting to get with them. See them again. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers, I urge you to bear with my words of exhortation, for I've written you only a short letter, <laughs> 13 chapters. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to greet you. Greet all your leaders and all God's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. And there we end. What a remarkable book. And all it does is get our eyes back on Jesus and tell us, don't turn back. Don't let the fire go cold. Keep moving. I'll end with this. At 66 years of age, when I wake up